You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. series we've entitled Ghost Stories, where we've been learning about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons that we have launched this series is we really want to be a both-and kind of church. And what I mean by that is we want to be about the Scriptures, and we want to be about the Holy Spirit. And we want to be about knowledge, and we want to be about experience. We want to be about right thinking, and we want to be about right living. And a lot of times, churches will try to pit these against one another. Um, but we really believe if we're going to be the church God has called us to be, we actually need to hold them together. They were never meant to be pulled apart. And so with that said, as we continue our series today, we're going to talk about what has traditionally been called the gifts of the Spirit. Or maybe a better translation is just the stuff the Holy Spirit does. And today I'm going to talk about the gift of prophecy. Uh, Next week we're going to talk about speaking in tongues. The week after that, uh, healing. And then after that, casting out demons. So it should be a fun time for everybody. A little bit for everyone. Um, And the reason I want to talk about these gifts in particular is because it's these gifts, I would say, that by and large have been perverted, misunderstood, and abused. And because that is true, listen, I think the temptation for all of us, if we're not careful, is to let our discipleship to Jesus be shaped more by the ugliness that we see in Christian culture than by the beauty that's actually in the Scriptures. And what I want to do is I want to dive into the Scriptures. I want to look in the Bible, and I want us to discover how, despite what we've been told or led to believe, the spiritual gifts are actually a beautiful part of God's design. Um, I'll never forget when I was in kindergarten, and uh, God bless her, Billy Smith shared with me in detail how babies were made. And as a five-year-old, as you can imagine, I was thoroughly confused and appalled. In fact, when I saw my mom later that day when she picked me up, I couldn't even look her in the eyes. Um, I remember she's like, what's wrong? And I'm thinking, like, oh, you know what's wrong, you know? And so it's like, I, I, I go to my room, and, and a true story, I mean, it's like I literally just sat there and cried because I thought, like, my entire life has been a lie, right? But here's the deal. Um, that was then. This is now. Since then, I have matured a little bit. I have also been married. I have three kids. And what I realize is something that I once thought was gross, I now see as a great gift. Does that make sense? Um, something that I saw as unnecessary and uncalled for, something that I now see beautiful and quite enjoyable. And the reason I share that is to say this. When it comes to things like speaking in tongues or casting out demons or prophecy or these things that make us almost feel a little bit uncomfortable to even talk about, What I want you to see is that when these gifts are used in the right context, they are not bad, but they're beautiful. They're beautiful. And therefore, despite the fact that these gifts have been perverted and abused and and, and, and in many ways misunderstood, rather than us just pushing these aside, this is something we really need to embrace. Um, Let's not be a church that commits or tries to live like with this, like, you know, giving our lives to this 11th commandment that says what others have done poorly, we're not going to do at all. Instead, like, let's just be educated on what God says, and let's step into this, and I think with it, step into an even greater life. And by the way, um, this desire that I have to teach the gifts is not just, like, it doesn't come from me only. Like, the Apostle Paul had the same desire. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, he says this, 
Now about the gifts of the Spirit, or again, the stuff the Spirit does, I do not want you to be uninformed. Which is pretty ironic, considering here we are two millennia later, and isn't that what most of us are? I mean, by and large, a lot of us, I would say, when it comes to the spiritual gifts, are very much uninformed. And though I wish I could spend a lot of time doing a deep dive into the spiritual gifts and give you a defense for why we believe the spiritual gifts are still available today, for the sake of time, I can't do that. But here's what I want to say. This is very important. I'll put it on the screen for you. We really believe that the spiritual gifts are the manifestation of the presence of God, not the distribution of presence from God. I'm going to say that again because I'm guessing this is a whole new way of thinking about the spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts are the manifestation of the presence of God, not the distribution of presence from God. And here's what I mean by that. As Jesus points out in the scripture, the greatest spiritual gift that you and I can receive is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not a blob. The Holy Spirit is not a force like from Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. And he is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. And so when you think about the spiritual gifts, more than you need to think about God's presence, think about God's presence. And here's the deal, guys. You can't miss this. As you are learning to abide in God's presence, which, by the way, is the whole point of the Christian life. That's why Jesus came to this earth, is to allow you to be back in the presence of God again without being obliterated. Like, as you learn how to abide in God's presence, to live aware of and connected to the Holy Spirit... He will give you spiritual gifts, which despite popular teaching, are not abilities that you possess, but they are opportunities that the Spirit calls us to step into for the sake of ministering to others. Um, It's really important that you understand that. Because oftentimes when we think of the spiritual gifts, what happens is things like this happen. And by the way, I'm, I'm guilty of this. Your pastor gives you a spiritual gifts test. I've done this before, literally, in this church. And they say, answer these questions... And then you're going to get results back, and you're going to find out what is your spiritual gift. Because every disciple gets one, maybe if you're lucky, two. And so what happens? You answer these questions, and this usually ends up leaving you very discouraged because the person next to you gets the gift of healing, and you get the gift of helps, right? Or like they get, you know, like prophecy, and you get administration. And so you're like, wait a minute, how's that fair? Like they get miraculous powers, and I get an Excel sheet? Like that's like doesn't seem right, God. And yet we're like as pastors, well, that's just your gift. Like, praise God, like, just use it to serve the church. Like, here's your, like, you know, like, computer or whatever. Like, that's what we do. And though that's a very popular teaching and way of understanding the gifts, we really believe that more than the gifts being about these abilities, they're about opportunities. Or another way of saying it, more than spiritual gifts, like being these spiritual tools that you carry, they're about these supernatural tasks that the Holy Spirit invites all of us into as we're learning to abide in Him. And so, for example, what this means, and this is very important, if someone is, say, sick and in need of healing, the question you should be asking is not, hmm, do I have the ability through the Spirit to heal this person? Uh, Have I been given that gift? And if no, then I won't pray for him, and if I do, I will pray for him. That's not the question you should be asking. The question is not, have I been given the ability to do this? The question is, is the Holy Spirit prompting me and calling me in this moment to go and pray for that person's healing? Does that make sense? It's a totally different way of thinking about the spiritual gifts. It's not about, is the Spirit giving me this ability, but is he calling me into this opportunity? Okay? So, here's what I just want you to know, and, and we're about to get into the text. 
don't think of the spiritual gifts like this. Everybody just has one, maybe two spiritual gifts, and that's your spiritual gift that you have, and you'll never like, be able to like, step in any others. Don't think of it like that. As pastors, we truly believe that every spiritual gift is available to every disciple. And by the way, a spiritual gift, it's not earned, it's not deserved, it's not handed out to you because you're more mature than that person. It's a gift. It's an undeserved gift. It's by the grace of God. And they're given, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, as the Spirit determines for the good of another. Does that make sense? If not, Adam will be available after the service, and he'll answer all of your questions around that. So, um, 1 Corinthians 14, now we're ready to kind of dive into this first passage. We're going to look at this uh, this week and next week. It's a passage on prophecy and tongues. As I said, we'll cover prophecy this week and then tongues the next week. Holy Spirit, please speak to us. Man. Following the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Man, does our world not need that right now? Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So Paul writes that prophecy is something that all of us are to eagerly desire. And the word that he uses here for eagerly desire is the word zealous, which can be translated as eagerly desire, but it also, think about this, can be translated as to covet or to be jealous for. Now, as far as I know, this is the only place in Scripture where we're told to be jealous for something or to covet it. And what are we to be jealous for? What are we to covet? Well, it's the gift of prophecy. And so, guys, what that means is that you and I are to want this badly. And I know that as soon as I say that, some of you have these red lights that are going off on your spiritual dashboard. And you're like, okay, like COVID's going to Jared's brain. Like, I knew it. Like, we're becoming a cult. Like, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Like, this is about to get weird. And if that's where you are, listen, I totally get it. As I've told you before, I grew up at a, a context where we thought the Trinity was the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. All right? So we didn't talk about this stuff growing up. But I just want to, just to, in order to kind of try to help put you at ease, let me ask you a couple questions real fast. First off, let me ask you this, and I want to see a show of hands. How many of you believe that God speaks today? Raise your hand, even if it's just in the Bible. Okay, everybody in here. Here's another question I want to ask you, and you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to on this, but you can think about this. Have you ever had an impression, or maybe a more Baptist way of saying it, has anybody ever been heavy on your heart? Okay, anybody in here? Right? Okay. So maybe you are praying, and all of a sudden someone is placed on your heart, and you just start praying for them, or maybe you shoot them a text of just like, hey, here's something that God brought to my mind as I was thinking about you, and you shoot them a text, and they respond back by saying, man, sister, brother, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. Like, anybody ever been, been involved in something like that? Okay, listen, that is a form of what the Bible calls prophecy. And before we talk on a practical level what this looks like in the context of our church as we move forward, let's leave 1 Corinthians 14, leave your finger there, and I want to trace prophecy through the Scripture. So go with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It always starts in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It is very important, listen to this, whether you're part of our church or another church, that you don't let your pastors pull a verse 
out of context and just like start like using it in order to try to prove their point. We always want to root things in the context of the Bible. Okay, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what we read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the who? The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. So what do we learn in Genesis 1? The world is born by the word of God. Right? God speaks, and as a result, what happens? From out of nothing comes something. And we don't just see it right here in verse 3. It happens over and over in the creation account. God speaks, and there's life. God speaks, and there's life. God speaks, and there is life. So right here on page 1, here's the main thing I want you to get. Our God is a speaking God. And though he speaks in many ways, one of the ways he speaks is through people or through what the Bible calls prophecy. So with that in mind, go with me now to Numbers chapter 11. Go to the right, Numbers chapter 11. Numbers 11. Um, this is a story about Moses. Um, you guys know who Moses is, right? Wrote the first five books of the Bible. First prophet in Israel. He led Israel out of slavery towards the promised land. Here's what we read. Love this story. Numbers chapter 11, verse 24. So Moses went out and he told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and he made them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke with him and he took some of the power of the spirit that was on Moses and put it on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they did what? They prophesied. But they did not do so again. So remember, this is the age of visitation. The Spirit comes and He goes. He comes and He goes. Verse 26. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. Hey, have you seen Medad? Yes, he's in the camp. Sorry. Pastor joke. <laughs> That's pretty bad. I've been thinking about that all week. And so... Um, so they were listed among the elders... But they did not go out to the tent. So they're total slackers. Yet, the Spirit also rested on them, and they did what? They prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and me, Dad, are prophesying in the camp. And then Joshua, son of the nun, who had been Moses' assistant since you, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Like they don't need to prophesy. Listen how Moses responds, verse 29. Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all, all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. So you have two different perspectives of prophecy. You have Joshua, who's like only certain and unique people should prophesy. And you have Moses, who's dreaming, if not praying of the day, when all of God's people would be able to prophesy. Now, with that in mind, one more place to we'll look in the Old Testament. Go with me to Joel chapter 2. And if you need to use your table of contents to get to Joel, no shame in that game. He's stuck right there in the middle of all those minor prophets. Go to the right, Joel chapter 2. We read this several weeks ago, so this is familiar to y'all. But here's what Joel says. Joel is a, uh, a prophet. He gets a vision from God. He sees a future where God is going to do a new work. And here's what God says is going to happen. Verse 28. I will put or I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days. And so notice, according to the prophet Joe, he says, there's coming a day, guys, listen, where all of God's people will prophesy. 
There is coming a day, we're not just for a select few, this won't just be for Moses and his pals, but there's coming a day where the Spirit will fall on Jew and non-Jew, sons and daughters, men and women, young and old, even on servants, even on those who are not the elite, even on those who are not considered to be, you know, high class, or like the varsity members of society. One day, all people, Joel says, will be able to prophesy when the Spirit comes. Now, there are more places we could look. We could look in Exodus 32, ex, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah 32, Isaiah 42, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36. But for the sake of time, let's leave the Old Testament and let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Moving along here, I almost feel like I should apologize for how much scripture I'm going to be sharing with you today. Um, but I know you guys love the scriptures and you are glad to be turning and looking at these. So Acts chapter 2. Um, this is the story. Um, you know the Spirit has been poured out on the church um, on the day of Pentecost. People, because they're receiving the Spirit, are beginning to speak in tongues and they're prophesying. And as a result, what do the religious leaders? What do the religious leaders say is happening? They said all these people are drunk. They've had too much wine. That's why they're doing what they're doing. So Peter stands up, and here's what he says: Acts two verse fourteen. Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning. Like 10 a.m., you got an argument against us. We might be drunk then, but not at 9 in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he goes on and he just quotes the passage we just read in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. And so Peter just says this, guys, we're not drunk. Like this is Joel's prophecy coming to pass. This is what we have been waiting for. We no longer live in the age of visitation where the spirit comes and goes like we see on the elders in Numbers 11. But we're in the age of habitation now. The Spirit has come to fill all people who trust in Jesus. We're living in a new world where you can now receive the Spirit. And when you receive the Spirit, you can do what? You can begin, as Joe said, prophesy. Now, the question is, what exactly does it mean to prophesy? What is the gift of prophecy? And here's the best and most simple definition I know. It comes from Wayne Grudem and his book, Systematic Theology, which is a really big, thick book. If you want to look smart, buy it for like 30 bucks, put it on your coffee table. People will think you really know what you're doing. Um, here's what Wayne Grudem says. And this is, by the way, like the, the, the book that you use in seminary in all of your theology classes. Prophecy is speaking what God spontaneously brings to mind. It's a pretty simple definition. Here's another one. This is from Ben Witherington. Prophecy is a spontaneous utterance prompted by the Spirit and based on a sudden and uncontrived revelation from God. So it's not something you just made up in your mind. Here's one more. This is my favorite. This is from Greg Haslam. Prophecy is the phenomenon that results directly from the access the Holy Spirit has to our minds whereby he can create pictures in our imagination and supernatural dreams while we are asleep. I just want to stop it there for a moment. Some of you believe that the devil or demons can mess with your mind. If you believe they have that kind of power, you definitely believe the Holy Spirit has that kind of power. Witherington goes on and he says, or I'm sorry, Haslam goes on and says this, the Holy Spirit can put words, ideas, or scripture into our heads with such force that we know there's something that carries with it the responsibility to pass on and relay what the Holy Spirit has communicated. And so what you need to see is prophecy, whether it is a scripture or a phrase, a dream, a vision, a gut feeling, um, it is something, it is an image, whatever it may be, but it is impressed on your mind by the Holy Spirit. And for what purpose? Why are you given the gift of prophecy? 
Again, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, it is for the purpose of you strengthening, encouraging, and comforting those who are around you. And so let me just ask you this question. Let's see a show of hands again. How many of you right now in the room feel like you are too encouraged? Anybody feel like you walked in here today, it's like, I've been way too encouraged. Anybody? Anybody in here feel like in the midst of the global pandemic and the election and all that, anybody here feel like I've got way too much comfort? Like I need to give some of my comfort away? Like anybody in here feel like you were walking in too much strength today? And I don't see any hands. Guys, that's why we need to pursue this gift. Because we are living in a world where we are constantly hearing the voice of condemnation. We are constantly hearing the voice that says, quit, give up, it's too difficult, you're not wanted here, you're alone, you're worthless, it's over. We need the voice of God to cut through that noise, and we need to hear, rather than a voice that is tearing us down, a voice that builds us up. That's what the gift of prophecy is all about. When you receive a prophetic word, and I hope that you have from someone before, when you receive a prophetic word from someone, and you know it's from God, you literally feel like you can take on the world. Or at the very least, get out of bed another day and continue on the narrow path that Jesus has called you to walk on. And this isn't just like preacher talk. Um, I read this, I've read First Timothy so many times in my life, but I have never noticed this verse, this passage, until Friday. And it's not going to be on the screen because this came to me much later in the week, and I didn't have time to send it to the, the folks in the booth. But listen to what Paul says to Timothy. Think about how powerful prophecy is in a lot of what Paul says here. Timothy, my son, okay, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, so that by recalling the prophecies, here's what you will be able to do. Fight the battle well, holding on to a faith and a good conscience which some have rejected and so suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. Do you hear what Paul just said? This is very important, guys. He says, how are you going to continue to fight? How are you going to continue to wage war? How are you going to continue to run the race that God has called you to run? Here's how it happens, Timothy, by recalling the prophecies that have been spoken into your life. What Paul is saying is this. If you ever find yourself in a season of life where you don't even know if God knows your name anymore, if you ever find yourself in a place where you're like, I don't even know if God sees me. What Paul says you need is a prophetic word spoken into your life. You need someone who can read your mail and speak a word into your life where you know there is no way this person could have just known this. The only reason they were able to speak this is because God is alive, he's real, he knows me, he sees me, he's not abandoned me, and therefore I have everything that I need in him to continue forward. Like, that's what Paul is saying here. And guys, I have seen this happen in my own life. I've shared with you all before about the very first time I received a prophetic word. I was in San Diego, and it was from a guy named Elbert Paul, who has been here before and led a prayer meeting for us. And uh, I think he actually even spoke a prophetic word over some of your lives whenever he was here. But I was sitting there in San Diego, and I remember it was a season of my life where I honestly was debating on, our church was four years old, and I just felt like, here's the thing, when you get up and preach week in and week out, and it's no offense to anybody here. It's just true of any church. You walk away a lot of Sundays and feel like, I completely just wasted my time. Like, that didn't sit with anybody. That didn't change anyone's life. Why did I spend 15 hours doing that? I need to quit. You have those seasons. And it's no, it's, it has nothing to do with this church. It's just, it's, more of, it's just in us as pastors. And 
that was one of those seasons where I just thought, I just don't think I have the gift of preaching and teaching. And I'm sitting there, and as I'm wondering, as I'm thinking that, Albert Paul stops, looks at me, and says, what's your name? I'm like, my name's Jared. He didn't know me, never met me before, knew nothing about me. And he said, I have an image that God just gave me of you, that you're standing with a megaphone and a group of impoverished people. There's even people from other countries coming around. And I believe God wants you to know right now that he's given you a gift to preach and teach. And so make sure you continue to work on this craft and know that God's going to use you to feed a spiritually malnourished people. Stay at it. I mean, you you receive something like that. And by the way, a year later, I'm thinking like, who are the people from other countries? A year later, you guys know, right? All these Marshallese, people from Ethiopia, Kenya, all begin to be inside of my home. And I didn't orchestrate that. They just happened. Because that's a prophetic word. And it's a word that I look back on even today. And when there's times where I'm like, man, I don't even know if like I'm being used anymore. I cling to that. And by the way, is Bethany in here? Bethany Keener? Bethany. So we were in a, we, we, the best thing about our church right now is we have this little small group of people who come together and pray for y'all at 8.15 every Sunday morning. It's led by Bethany Keener. And you might not even remember you said this, but today you were praying, you were like, I just have this image. She had no idea I was going to be sharing that. And you said, I had this image, and I just believe God wants you to know, like when it comes to preaching and teaching, you're the man for the job. As I'm thinking about this, like that's a form of prophecy, right? And, and, and this is like stuff that, I, I'll give you another example. Probably four weeks ago, uh, Shannon Mason's dad, Brother Dennis Davis, um, I had never talked to Brother Dennis before, at least not that I can recall. He shows up at my office. He's a retired pastor. Shows up at my office, um, brings me a book written by a guy by the name of Jim Hilton. He says, I believe God wants me to give this book to you. I thought, eh, I've got a lot of books, but I put it aside. I thought, okay, like that was just too random for me not to do this. So I read the book, was so impacted by it, I emailed the author. He's an 84-year-old guy. I've been a part of more revivals in America than anybody else. I emailed him. And Adam, he's, he's been a kind of part of this whole ride, too. He basically emails, email, emails me back and says, I've been waiting for you. Here's my cell phone number. I want to be completely available to you. I'll even come to Paragold if you want me to be there. I've now built a relationship with this guy who continues to pour into me. And what's really cool about that whole situation, too, is before uh, Brother Dennis even left my room, this is in the middle of a global pandemic, right, by the way, he looks at me and he says, well, there's one more thing I think God wants me to tell you. God has called you to lead, and so make sure that you lead. Now, to you, that wouldn't mean anything, but to me, in the middle of a global pandemic, when I think like, man, I really think we should maybe mix things up here with our, our missional communities and all that, I have a lot of doubt in my mind of maybe I shouldn't do this. And to receive that word in that moment gave me the courage and the confidence that I needed to continue to push forward, even in the midst of all the uncertainty. I could give you example after example after example, but guys, listen, that's why prophecy is so important. Because it helps you walk in a greater power and confidence and comfort here and now. It helps us run after what we've been saying we want to run after as a church, which is to become resilient disciples. To be men and women who don't just survive, but thrive in the midst of the harsh conditions we live in. And guys, listen, like, this is why I want this so badly for our church. Like, I, I long for this to be the new normal in our church because whenever this gift is exercised correctly, it helps us to move from being cultural Christians that are tossed to and fro to resilient disciples who stand the test of time. You know, one of the reasons that it makes me so sad um, to hear people say that, well, I just don't believe these gifts are for today is because I truly believe these gifts are given to us so that we can be the men and women God has called us to be. Some of you, listen, I know you have been taught that after God completed the last line in Revelation, that he just kind of dropped the mic and said, okay, like I'm out. 
Like, you want to hear from me? Just read the Bible, then I'll see you at the second coming. I know that's why some of you believe. And listen, I just want to remind you, like, God is here right now. Like, He's here right now in His Spirit. And He is still speaking today. He wants to speak to you and through you for the purpose of building up one another and manifesting His presence in the world. He wants to speak to you and through you so that we can, as His messengers, deliver, deliver specific words to specific people in specific situations to encourage, to comfort, and strengthen. With that said, how do we do this? How do we begin as a church who has not really been practicing this a whole lot how do we begin to move towards this? And in order to answer that question, I just want you to look very quickly to Acts chapter 21. Acts 21 is kind of an obscure story. I'm guessing most of you are not familiar with this. But in this little short passage, we learn the steps that we are to pursue when it comes to pursuing the gift of prophecy. Acts 21, starting in verse 8, or we'll read through down to verse 14. Leaving the next day, we, and that's talking about Paul and Luke and their buddies, we reached Assyria and we stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. These aren't apostles. It's four single women. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says. Notice he doesn't just say, like, God in general. The Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So this is almost like some weird, like, Ezekiel type stuff, where Ezekiel would like to do, like, a word picture to try to give a prophetic word. Verse 12. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Apparently, Paul had been listening to a lot of 80s music at that point in his life. I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. So, there's a lot in here, but here's what I want you to notice. When a prophetic word is given, there are three parts of the prophecy. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. There's a revelation, there's an interpretation, and there's an application. There's a revelation. You get something from God. It can be a word, it can be a phrase, it can be a scripture, an image in your mind's eye. Here with Agabus, it seems to be a vision. That's the beginning of it all. Then there's an interpretation. What does this mean? And then lastly, there's an application. What am I supposed to do with this? Am I supposed to keep it to myself? Am I supposed to share it with someone else? Right? If I'm supposed to share it, when am I supposed to share it? So there's a revelation, interpretation, and application. Which, by the way, side note, that's the same process you take in reading the scripture. This is God's revelation to you. You then try to interpret, and then you apply. Now, here's the thing. Stay with me. The revelation is always the easy part. It's the interpretation and application that tends to get a little off track. Like, that's where it tends to get kind of wacky and goofy at times. It's what we actually see with Agabus right here. He sees an image of Paul in Jerusalem. Paul is bound, and he says, his interpretation is, you're going to suffer, Paul, if you go to tell people about Jesus in Jerusalem. And then what's his application? Don't go to Jerusalem. Well, how does Paul respond to that? He says, well, actually, no. You got the revelation right. You even got the interpretation right. Jesus has shown me the same thing. When I go to Jerusalem, I will suffer in his name. But here's the application. I believe that the Spirit is showing me this because he's trying to prepare me ahead of time to say, yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, you're going to suffer. But I am going to be there with you. Go. 
So Agabus misses the application piece. He doesn't get it all right. He gets the revelation, he gets the interpretation, but he misses the application. And listen, guys, yet in spite of the fact he doesn't get it 100% right, Paul still says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue this. Be eager for the gift of prophecy. So with that in mind as a church, what does this mean? Real nuts and bolts, how do we begin to pursue the gift of prophecy? Four things I would say. First, you need to create space and listen. Guys, in the midst of the noise and the busyness of life, if we are going to be a church that walks in this, we have got to learn how to quiet our heart and our mind, to listen to God's voice, to be in two places at once, changing diapers and in the presence of God, in the grocery store and in the presence of God, even here in something like this and in the presence of God. We have to learn the reality that our God is a speaking God. He's wanting to speak to you guys. Listen, even right now, And we have to learn how to listen to his voice, to see what it is he is saying to us. And by the way, this is one reason why we have been saying for the last four years, you need to spend every moment, every morning in silence and solitude. Guys, please hear me. This is a non-negotiable. It is a non-negotiable. Every morning when you wake up, carve out space before you hit the ground running to be time, to spend time alone with Jesus. Put your phone away. Spend just a little bit of time reading the scripture. Quiet your heart and do some listening prayer. Don't just read the Bible, like play Bible roulette, and like, uh, First Chronicles 5.1, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn. Now, that wasn't very good, but all right, God, thank you very much. I did my thing. I'm out, right? Like, listen to the Lord. You will never be able to listen to God in the chaos of the moment if you can't listen to him in silence and solitude. That's the first thing you do. Create space and listen. And then, secondly, see what comes to mind. Is it scripture? Is it a song? Is it, wor- is it a word? Is it a phrase? Is it an image? Is it a sense in your gut? And then third, ask God for an interpretation and application. Just say, okay, like, God, what does this mean? Who is this for? Is it for the crossing church? Is it for myself? Is it for my missional community? Is it for my family? Is it for my friends? And then finally, if it's for someone else, here's the last step, deliver the message. And I would say deliver the message in humility, in courage, and in love. When I say deliver the message in humility, listen, don't ever show up and say, God told me, dot, dot, dot. That sounds arrogant, it's prideful, it's damaging, and it usually triggers a lot of bad stuff in people. So rather than showing up and saying, God told me to tell you, just say this, I have a sense that God wants you to hear this, and you can check it with Scripture and see if like it resonates. So do it in humility. Secondly, do it in courage. For us to begin to do this, is going to be like, it's going to feel awkward at times, and you're going to have to like face your fear of rejection. Um, just about four weeks ago, I was in my office, and I saw a woman sitting over at Centennial Park, and I felt from God, which I was going to feel weird to some of you, that God just kind of told me, like, this is a woman who's been abused, and that I need to go and share with her God's love for her. And so I kind of tried to fight it, but eventually I walked across the street, and I shared with her God's love for her, what he did for her in Christ. It ended up being a beautiful moment, but I didn't know that whenever I stepped out. Like, if we're going to do this, like, it's going to take courage. And then lastly, make sure you deliver a message in love. Guys, never deliver a prophetic word to somebody you're mad at. Some of you are like, I'm about to deliver a prophetic word to my spouse as soon as we get back home, right? Like, that's not the time. Never deliver a prophetic word out of pride or this condescending attitude of like, I'm going to try to pull this person up to my level. Like, I want to let them know something that I see in them. Right? Like, remember... If you are sharing a word from God, they will always walk away encouraged, strengthened, or comforted. 
always. Even if it's a rebuke, it's going to feel like an invitation in a deeper life. Now, I'm almost done. That's how you give a prophecy. But how do you receive a prophecy? Last thing we'll look at, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Turn with me there. It's the last place we'll go and we'll be done. You guys have done well. Appreciate you sticking, sticking in there as we turn to a lot of different scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. Here's what Paul says. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. So first thing Paul says when it comes to prophecy, don't quench the Spirit. How do you quench the Spirit? By holding prophecy with contempt. In other words, someone in the church begins to actually take this message that I'm preaching today and try to apply it, and when they do, you basically try to shut it down. You think, that's dumb, that's stupid, whatever else. Listen, even if you're doing that in the name of, I'm just trying to be biblical, Paul says you push the Spirit away when you do that. A fire is trying to spread in the church, and you're throwing a bucket of cold water on it. Don't do that, guys. Even if it feels weird and uncomfortable to you this moment, if people begin to try to pursue this gift, let them try to pursue it. Help them work through that. But on the flip side, here's the second thing. We don't swallow it whole, according to verse 21. There are some prophetic words when given you can receive immediately, but then there are others that Paul says you need to test to see if they are from God. And if you're like, okay, well, how do I test to see if it's actually from God? Well, there are two questions you need to ask. This is very important. One is does this prophetic word I was just given line up with the scriptures? Guys, nobody will ever give you a new revelation that's going to contradict the Bible. And so is what this person just said, what they said to me, does it line up with what God is saying? Okay? And then secondly, I would just ask this question. Does it comfort, strengthen, and encourage? Does it comfort, strengthen, and encourage? Again, even if it's a rebuke, if it's from God, it's going to not beat you down, but build you up. And so if it lines up with Scripture, it leaves you encouraged. Listen, receive it as a word from God. Thank Him for seeing you and sharing that, and thank the person for being obedient in sharing. That being said, as we close today, I know that this is weird for some of you. You have a lot of questions around it. Um, I'll be honest, like I'm just now over the last three or four months really running after this for the first time in my life, and even as a staff, it's something we're carving out time for every single week in our staff meetings. I know it's strange. I know it's weird. I know some of you are like, man, is this really that important? I want you to know that as pastors, we are really wanting to be here. Like this is where we want to be as a church. We want to be a church that creates space to hear from God and then trust that he speaks to us and through us for the purpose of building up one another. And by the way, the best place to practice this is not just in your home, but another good place is in your missional communities, in your DNAs. Create space to work through that stuff in that environment. It's a safe place for you to begin to show up, not as a consumer, but as a contributor. Can you imagine how awesome would it be if our missional communities, if we begin to show up, and before we show up, we actually prayed, and we asked God to give us a word for someone else in our group to build them up before we left that night. Can you imagine how much that would change the culture of our church if we lived that way? Like, this is where we want to be. We want this to be the new normal. And if that is where you, if you're like, I'm not there right now, listen, you're still welcome here. You're still welcome here. Some of you, I know you're closed to the gifts of the Spirit, and all I ask is would you please just rethink your position over the next three or four weeks? 
Come with your Bibles. Test everything that I say. Don't show up in a defensive posture. Just open your mind to the Holy Spirit and what He has to say through the Holy Bible. For others in here, you're not closed to the gifts of the Spirit, but let's be honest, like you're not pursuing them either. And let me say something that actually is it's a pretty direct word, but I think it's important. I believe, from what I read in Scripture, if we're not pursuing the gifts of the Spirit, we're actually living in sin. Because this is a command to pursue the gifts of the Spirit. And so for you, the call is just to move to seeking, not in a weird and funky way, but in a way that says, I want to be the man or the woman. I want us to be the church that Jesus has called us to be. To that end, I just want to close with this quote from Frank Viola, who says this, Evil spirits desire to inhabit bodies because they crave expression. That's the whole point of possession. They seek to take over a human body so that they can express themselves through it, employing it for wicked purposes on the earth. Jesus Christ is now in the spirit, and he also craves expression. He seeks to make his life visible through a many-membered body, the body of Christ, or the church. It exists to express Christ in the earth. Guys, that is why we exist as a church. Please hear this. We're about done. That is why we exist as a church. It is to express Jesus Christ in the earth, right here in Northeast Arkansas, to live in such a way that people get a picture of what the real Jesus is actually like. And, I, and just please hear me carefully. I am all about us doing nice things in the name of Jesus. I'm all about us giving away free sporting equipment and clothes, and feeding the poor, and helping refugees, and tutoring. I am all that, paying bills for people, that's very important. But when we read the, the Gospels, the bulk of Jesus' work is not reduced just to doing nice things for people. When we read the Gospels, we see him healing the sick, casting out demons, prophesying and preaching the good news of the kingdom. And therefore, guys, if we're going to be a church that shows the world what Jesus is like, the same has to be true of us as well. And so to end, let me just ask you this. I know I'm in front of a crowd, but I'm in front of a crowd of individuals today. Whether you're here or at home, let me just ask you, what's keeping you from pursuing this? Is it apathy? Have you begun to settle for just a Christian life where we think rightly, but we don't experience the power of God in us and through us? Is it cynicism? Is it an interpretation of the Bible that maybe you've been taught? Is it busyness? Is it unbelief? Is it a fear of rejection? Is it a need for control? Is it pride that, man, I can't admit that I've maybe been wrong? What is it for you today? And whatever that is, all I ask is that you take it to Jesus. And you just make a commitment to step into whatever ministry and whatever opportunity the Spirit is calling you into for the good of others and the glory of God. With that said, I'm going to invite the band to come up here and just stay where you are in your seat. Take a moment. As we transition into a time of communion, I appreciate your patience. But before we jet out of here, we need to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us today so that we can be embodied by the very presence of God. You have a juice cup there with a cracker. And guys, this has been commanded by Jesus. This is not just a formality. This is not just something we do because it's the right thing to do. But Jesus has given this for disciples to take, to be remember, as we, to be reminded that as we take the bread, that Jesus came and lived a perfect, sinless life that we can never live. And then as we take the juice, we're reminded that he went, he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could be cleansed. The Bible says that we are now the temple of God, which means the very presence of God, his Holy Spirit, can live in us. And communion is given to us to be reminded, to embody that reality. And if you're here and you're a disciple, I encourage you to partake of communion. 
But if you're here and you're not a disciple of Jesus, listen, you have not received the Spirit of God. And therefore, the greatest thing you can do today is rather than receiving communion, is receive the Holy Spirit. This is the test, guys, listen, by the way, for whether or not you're a Christian. When you read in the book of Acts, they never ask, did you pray a prayer? They ask if you received the Spirit. Like, that's what we are after, God's presence in us. And if you want more information about how to receive God's Spirit, listen, the greatest thing you can do is just to go to Jesus as you are and say, I confess I'm a sinner. I confess that I am in need of a Savior and that, Jesus, you have come and accomplished everything for me through your life, death, and resurrection so that I can have a relationship with you. And if you want to know more about what that looks like and how to, how to step into that, come and talk with me. Adam is here, and Luke would love to talk to you after your service. Look us up on Facebook, email us, whatever you need to do. To that end, I want to pray for us. Take communion, and then as you're ready, you can stand, and we'll sing one final song together. Father, I do thank you so much for the gift of your Holy Spirit. I pray that right now, as we enter into a time of communion, that Jesus, you would remind us of what you've accomplished for us that you, Holy Spirit, would help us to feel the love of the Father and that you would create in us a church, that you would make us into a people who truly look, who, who truly listen for what it is you have to say and then we look for opportunities to, to encourage, to build up the strength. And I just want to pray against right now division, maybe in our church, cynicism, snarky remarks that we would think about the things that come out of our mouth and how everything we say has an opportunity either to, to build life or to bring death. I pray that we'd be a church that is known for life. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.